a Sunnyvale, California native, Cornell University alumni, former NWHL defense player for the Metropolitan Riveters, and now she is an assistant coach for the U.S. Women's National Ball Hockey Team. Please welcome Amber Moore. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Of course. So before we get into all of your recent accomplishments, how did a young girl from sunny state of California get involved in the game of ice hockey? I love it. Yeah, um, definitely not the the typical narrative of a, a Californian, but my uh, brother started playing and I was super excited and really wanted to start playing as well. So I used to rock some Barbie quad skates and skate around our garage and then was able to convince my mom through being very persuasive that I should be able to play hockey as well if Jonathan was playing. And I started playing and then I have three other sisters and they all started playing. So we had a little troop of, of hockey going, <laughs> hockey going kids, throw them all in the car, sticks lining the, the floor of the minivan. Uh, one of my youngest sisters wanted to play tennis and my mom was like, no, <laughs> you, you'll be playing hockey with the rest of this. Uh, like everybody wants for one team here. We're not yeah, well, going to different areas. <laughs> yeah. One, one team, one dream, really. <laughs> That's awesome. I was talking with um, Molly Schaus a couple episodes back and like that we talked about how that's like the theme of women hockey players getting involved in the game is like their brothers were playing or like they saw like somebody else play in their family and like that's what got them involved. So it's awesome to hear that we're got <laughs> we have the pattern rolling <laughs> yep. with other hockey players. That's awesome. So you also played for the San Jose Junior Sharks U19 team. And you were also the two-time champion of the fastest skater competition. And <laughs> you I really did some internet digging. This is this is flattering. Yes, all my accomplishments <laughs> from the early two thousands. So, what was it like? I mean, you were the fastest skater. Like, how was that defending your title, two-time champion? I mean, that's awesome. Oh wow! Yeah, um, <laughs> bringing me back all the way back to Logitech, which has now been bought by like another tech company, but where the where the sharks practice. Um, I mean, it was it was great. I have to say, I I didn't really not to say that I peaked when I was fifteen, but I <laughs> I really wasn't like dominant on the ice until I was about fifteen. Um, and skating has always been one of my strong suits, so I was happy to defend the title two years in a row back to back at some skills competitions. Uh, but it's definitely, I mean, I have like, I'm a defender. I have rocks for hands. So nice. being able to skate fast is definitely an advantage and was lucky to really learn the dynamics of skating at a pretty young age and then be able to just improve as I continued to get older. Nice. So I'm also going to take it back a little bit further. You played roller hockey too, and you also competed in shot put in high school. So <laughs> Being that I was a track athlete, I started off with hockey and then moved to track. So what led you to shot put specifically? Oh my gosh. This is, yeah, this is, this interview might last five hours. <laughs> no, um, I just wanted to play another sport in high school. And so I had, I also was a, a cheerleader. I guess I didn't mention that in my like, oh, Cornell yeah, bio, but hysterically, that. I was doing track as like just a nice crossover and being able to stay in shape in the off season and was ultimately recruited um, to play at like a local community college. They were like, you can come and do shot put for two years and then transfer to like a UC. And I was like, um, this is awesome, but I think I'm going to go play hockey at Cornell. Right. 
<laughs> but yeah, I could have, I could have been a, a shot put athlete. Who, who knows? That's awesome. Yeah. When I read shot put, I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. We got to talk yeah. about that. Cause that it's, is, those, that's it's those hockey quads and the, and the hockey butt. That's what yeah, propels that's, the ball or it's that the, shot put is not, I've tried javelin before and I'm just like, no, nah, that's okay. <laughs> we're good with that. So, but moving forward, um, what led you to wanting to go to Cornell? Cause I mean, being that that's in Ithaca, New York, you went from sunny state of California to now like cold, cold winters in Northern New York. So yes. what was that transition like for you? Very chilly. Um, I definitely, learned how to walk on ice and not on like hockey ice, but just walking, walking in the winter was something that was a little new, fell down a lot. It was fine. But Cornell was, I ultimately made the decision. I had gone on official visits at Dartmouth, Cornell, Yale, uh, was offered one at Brown. But by the time I had gotten to the first three, I was like, I know where I want to go. Uh, and 17, 18 year old me was not entirely sure about what I wanted to major in. And Cornell had the widest array of majors. And I also have to say, I was like a sucker for the fact that Cornell has some of the best food when it comes to colleges. I'm That's a big eater. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, when you're making decisions about college and you're in high school, maybe they're not based on the best ROI. They might be based <laughs> on whether or not you had a really bomb vegetarian bagel from College Town Bagels. Um, but I, I liked, yeah, I really enjoyed my visit at Cornell and felt like I fit in best there and loved Ithaca. It was beautiful, but as you mentioned, definitely cold. Uh, yeah. When it's May and you're like, is it going to snow? That's not exactly the same conditions that I grew up in. Yeah, definitely not. When I was like, yeah, Ithaca, that's like way up there. I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, gosh, I couldn't imagine. So is there any one moment in your college experience that sticks out to you as something you'll always remember? Um, well, it's not actually hockey related. I would say my senior year, I had transitioned to playing on the rugby team and I ended up tearing my ACL. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I had to like identify and define who I was without sports for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I was out, I mean, I was out for like six months and I think that was honestly probably one of the most defining moments. Cause I was like, well, what happens when you don't have sports? Like, how do you figure out what's going to make you happy and what you're going to, um, continue to do outside of just going to school. So that would, I, yeah, I would definitely say that was the most defining moment, uh, of just college in general and just yeah. understanding that it's important to be able to do like diverse number of things and to do them well, and to like draw happiness from multiple areas of your life. I definitely agree with that. I'm happy that you found something else, even though it led to an injury, but you learned something from it. I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, well, I'm going to just be done playing everything now. Like, no, I have to find something else because, you know, at the end of the day, sports isn't forever. I mean, we can, as much as we would like to play sports forever, we definitely have yeah. to get. <laughs> I don't know. When I was in uh, the Netherlands, I played with this man who was like, well, he wasn't playing, but he was like dropping the puck and blowing the whistle at like 93 for our like Tuesday night scrimmages. And I'm pretty convinced that'll be me, but a hundred percent, like very important to figure out outside of hockey, who you are, what makes you happy, what, what drives you. Exactly. Exactly. And then after graduating from Cornell, Cornell, there was a three-year gap before you began your pro debut with the Riveters. So what motivated you to get back to hockey, but at now at the professional level? Yeah. So after college, I moved down to the Mississippi Delta. 
uh, and I did teach for America, maybe not in, in, uh, on the online space, um, for the research, but there was no hockey down there. The closest ice rink was three and a half hours away in Helena, Arkansas. And so I wasn't able to play, although I did rollerblade on some of the back roads and took out the hockey stick every, every now and then and played some, played some ball hockey. Um, but when I moved back to New York, or when I moved to New York, I guess I moved I moved back to New York, but I moved to New York city. I wanted to get back into the game mm-hmm. and had just been, I mean, it had been, like I said, such a large part of my identity for so long and had sort of had that shaken my senior year and was like, Oh, I, I, you know, what happens when I can't play and was able to find this awesome ice rink, Long Island city. It's like a little bubble up in Queens and I was playing on a, like a men's or a beer league team there, just like a co-ed team. And when I'd reached out originally uh, to the rink, just to ask like if there were any teams that needed players, uh, Rich Furlan reached back out and he was like, Hey, we need some players on my team. Also, my sister went to Northeastern. You probably like roll with some of the same crew. And his sister was Danny Ryland. Uh, So I, (laughs) I was able to meet Danny predating the NWHL days and we had a chance to play together, went to Lake Placid to play in Empire Games that first year in New York and then tried out for the Riveters and the the rest is history. And here I am on the other side. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I think down south, like, I mean, everybody that knows hockey knows that down south is not a hub for any type of hockey whatsoever. Me being in South Carolina, the closest rink is about 45 minutes and the hockey is very tight. It's not a whole bunch of people and everybody knows everybody. And that's Mm kind of it because the next rink is about, I think about an hour and a half from here in North Carolina. So (laughs) definitely I can understand, like, I know some people, I don't know if this was your experience, but for me being and playing hockey, just in my neighborhood, I have people that are like, what is she doing? What is yeah. in her hand? <laughs> like, what oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah. But I also got similar looks when I was living in New York city and had to get off at 14th street and then walk a mile to Chelsea Pierce <laughs> with my hockey bag through the meatpacking district. And everyone's like wearing like dresses and about to go out to the club. And I'm like, it's Friday night about to play some hockey. hockey. It's so funny because I've been to Chelsea Pierce numerous times for volleyball and just for their gym and I have never never heard about their hockey ring talked about ever yeah and then I see like you know the it's coach for the Riveters are he practices there and trains people there and I'm just like why didn't I know about this five years ago when yeah. I was over here like this is crazy it is kind of hidden and sort of nestled in there um, yeah definitely yeah. you would think New York would be more of like a hockey type area but it's not that's like like you said it's one of those things where you see people walk around with a hockey stick you're like where are you about this? yeah <laughs> I think it's also just tricky like space wise like for the longest time I would like air out my gear and then shove it under my bed in my room in my tiny like Brooklyn apartment in my room that was no bigger than a closet that I paid oh, way too much money for. So I feel logistically it's a little bit of a challenge, but nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Awesome. So shifting away from hockey for a moment, you seem to be a very active member in the community, specifically in regards to education. So what fuels your passion for just the education field in general? Oh, well, Lots of things. Um, I come from a hearty stock of teachers. So my grandma taught in the Bronx for 35 years at a school for students with uh, hearing disabilities. And then my mom also taught like master's um, level nursing classes. She was a a neonatal nurse practitioner at Stanford. 
And my dad like trained CPR and like emergency response. And so, I mean, yeah, about to take a dog turn, but not, not for too long. Um, but my junior year of college, my dad passed away and I did a lot of soul searching. I was in this like class at the time that was really trying to like have have juniors at Cornell narrow down what they wanted to do for the rest of their lives. No pressure. And I was just thinking about like the things that had brought me joy before and, and things that I was passionate about and really had been drawn to working in education. I grew up like in a low-income neighborhood. And when I went to Cornell, just felt like drastically unprepared. Um, despite the fact that like my mom had gone to college, my dad had like dropped out of high school, but I sort of like saw firsthand with many of my classmates, just the gaps in educational inequity. And then when I was at Cornell, I was like, oh, this is like an issue across our country and across lines of race and was like thinking about getting into education, but didn't want to take on more student loan debt. And um, knew that Teach for America was an option to like get into the teaching profession at the ground level. And so I applied for Teach for America, clicked no preference on region, ended up in the Mississippi Delta and stayed in the classroom for um, eight years before transitioning to working in education policy. So that's what I, I do now. I work for an organization that supports district and state superintendents and I do their federal policy work. So I'm looking across what are the best practices happening across the country and what are some of the challenges or pain points and how can we advocate for change at the federal level? But it's been... It's been a journey. I would say that in part it's driven by my like own experience. And then also, like I said, I come from a family. I'm the oldest of five and all of us have had like drastically different experiences with the education system and all do different things. That could be like an entirely other podcast talking about my family. (laughs) Um, But just to see it like firsthand and then to like see it as a classroom teacher and also to witness that so many of the issues that existed in Mississippi were also present in New York. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is a much larger issue that there can be some smart policy solutions to help mitigate. But that's the that's the jam. That's my thank you for asking. I feel like I, I talk so much about hockey and I'm I mean, I was even thinking about it the other day and I was just like. Yeah. My Twitter is mostly like education related Mm -hmm. stuff. Some hockey stuff. My Instagram is just all hockey and food and and my wife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely had to bring that up because me just knowing I worked in a school about a year ago and just seeing some of the things that the teachers dealt with and like how intricate and complicated the education system is. I definitely wanted to hear your perspective because it seemed like you were a very huge advocate for education, which is very important. And I mean, nowadays I can't imagine what the teachers were going through during COVID. I was at the tail, like right when we started with the shutdowns and everything yeah. else, just trying to figure out, I was like, how are these teachers going to do this? Like this yeah. is gonna be scary and crazy. So kudos sure. to you for getting involved in that field because I know it's definitely not easy at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I enjoy it though. And I feel like you need people on the, like who have been on the ground and been in the classroom and know what it takes and like what, policy actually looks like at the ground level, exactly. um, just to make smart changes at the top. But co- yeah, COVID has been wild. I mean, when COVID hit, the immediate question was like, how do we keep students fed? Exactly. And just thinking about our like reliance on social support systems, like schools to help like solve a basic need, uh, just shines, shines a light. I did a little bit of research in the Netherlands and it was a different a different world when it comes to what supports the government gives versus what schools are expected to do. 
Exactly. So now that we get back to hockey a little bit, you were a part of the U.S. Women's National Ball Hockey Team. I believe it was in 2019. So 2017. I'm even older than that. Yeah. (laughs) So now that you were, you played with the team, you went through the tryout process, Mm -hmm. you made the team. Um, and then you transitioned to now being an assistant coach for the 20, I think it would be the 2022 team Mm -hmm. once they make the roster. So what was that transition? Like you played and now you're the coach. Yeah. Um, I can't really tell you yet. We're just in the eval process. No, I think Well, just to like back it up, I have to give a huge shout out slash would not be possible if it weren't for Sharice Stewart. I didn't even know about ball hockey, was living in New York. We had played on the Riveters together. And even before, I mean, we tried out for the Riveters together um, and had just been like best buds and drove to every ice rink and then every ball hockey rink um, (laughs) together. But she was the one who introduced me to ball hockey and then convinced me to, to try out. And we were lucky enough. I mean, she had played on the team before, but I was lucky enough to, to make the team and be there alongside her. Nice. And then for the coaching, I ended up, well, we went to worlds, uh, fantastic experience minus always tragic. Like I'm like, yeah, we won silver, which is, which is amazing, but it's always right. just like, always we like, lost our last game. Right. <laughs> we beat like Slovakia for the first time. We beat Canada for the first time. It was wild to watch the sport abroad and just be like, this is emerging and growing in the U.S., but it is there in Europe. There were like 12,000 people watching the gold medal game. And I'm like, this is by far the most people I've ever played hockey in front of. Um, And it was, yeah, it was really an amazing experience. And just the fact that outside of hockey, I've never like traveled internationally, but like hockey's been able to take me yeah, to Canada, to Japan with the Riveters the first year to the Czech Republic. Uh, even when I was in the, living in the Netherlands and playing, we went to like Barcelona and to Belgium. So, um, transitioning to being a coach, I retour my ACL is <laughs> a common theme. No, I retour my ACL in 2018. I actually mm-hmm. toured the cadaver ACL. So it's not even mine. It's my borrowed ACL. Uh, and it was just a partial tear and I haven't had surgery on it, but I was at that point, I'm like, let me PT this. I've been playing a bunch of ball hockey and I'm like, I'm way more comfortable playing ice hockey. And now I just like bike a ton, do PT for my knee, play a ton of ice hockey, coach a ton of ice hockey. And so when the like general manager was thinking through folks to, to coach, um, I guess my name got through like thrown in the ring and I was like, (laughs) you know, got a call and asked if I wanted to interview. And I was like, huh, I hadn't even considered that, but I've been coaching the Washington Wolves, like the women's team in DC for the past three years and really love coaching. And it's just a phenomenal opportunity to like give back to the game and would really like to get that gold. So, I mean, on the eval side of things and like the recruiting side, I've really enjoyed coaching uh, for the, for the team. And I'm excited to see who, who shapes up uh, to be on the final roster. Cause there's a strong, a strong pool. Um, but it's, it's been great. I've, I've enjoyed it. That's awesome. So like now, um, that you're preparing for that next round of tryouts, I know it's a few months away, but what are you looking forward to the most at the tryouts? Uh, well, I'm not looking forward to the fact that the NWHL has games the same weekend. So there's some folks that we won't be able to see. (laughs) Um, no, I, I think it's just like, the excitement and the buildup. Like I remember in 2017, like when I got the call asking me to be on the team and like, was just so pumped about that. And it was 
so much fun, even like making the calls to women who I've played with before, um, yeah. some of them and just being like, you're invited. Like, I love like that moment. And then I also just think that the sport has grown even in the four years that I've been, you know, playing, playing it and involved with at the national team level. And just to see like how deep the talent pool is, has been Mm -hmm. phenomenal. So like looking, looking at the folks who are, um, who we're considering for the team, I'm just like, this is amazing that we've gotten to the place where it's like, you play D1 and WHL D1, D1, D3, like, like that is, it's phenomenal. And it's a great sport. It's a great crossover sport. It's huge in other countries, like to have the opportunity to represent your country and wear like red, white, and blue. You can't beat that. Right. (laughs) Exactly. It's awesome. Definitely awesome. I wish you all the luck. I know determining that final roster. I don't envy you in making those decisions. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Already even deciding who was going to camp was hard. We were on Zoom for like three hours. I couldn't even imagine. I'm like, (laughs) they're probably like, this is awful. Like, why are we? (laughs) Why is this happening? I'm like, I got heated. It was great though. It was, it was great. I also just huge, like love the, the rest of the coaching staff and like our general manager and everyone has been phenomenal and just like making the team happen and, and pushing it along. So that's been great on on that side. I'm excited to, to learn under um, Scott and the other coaches as well. Well, we are excited to follow along. We definitely will be paying attention and keeping up with that on the social media and everything else. And hopefully get to watch you guys take on, all the countries next year in Manitoba, Canada. That's going to be amazing to see. And uh, before we wrap up, we have our signature question. So if you could go back to when you were a young girl and tell yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> Let me think about that. Um, <laughs> take your time. Take your time. I think like, I mean, the biggest thing is just to continue to like, chase your passions and like do the things that bring you joy and make you happy and like give back as much as you can and to continue to give back. Um, yeah, I, it was funny. I had a couple of friends, I mean, in the past couple of months just asked me, they're like, do you ever get tired of hockey? And I was like, I literally, my freshman year pretty much cried when Cornell like melted the ice down after the season, but it's just been a sport that it keeps on giving. And like, Mm-hmm. The fact that, I mean, I talked a little bit about education today, but the fact that in the work that I'm doing now in the DC, Maryland, Virginia region is starting to like merge my passion of like education and like racial equity and working on that end and hockey. And like, mm-hmm. we're putting on a give hockey a try day and like trying to lower some of the barriers of access for women and like help diversify the game. Cause hockey culture is not conducive to building like an inclusive environment. So I think that Um, it's taken, I mean, it's taken me a while to sort of like merge those two worlds. I wish that I had done it earlier, but I also Mm -hmm. think that it's a product of, you know, I'm bordering up on 33 now. (laughs) So so we can't know it all right at when it, when we're supposed to learn it, but as long as we get there eventually, that's yeah. Yeah. So, so I feel like I wish I would have started to see the connections in my two worlds a little bit earlier, but I think just always continuing to, to follow your passion and just to find what, what makes you happy and just really, really get in and and give back. But those, those are my three pieces of unsolicited advice. It's it's great advice. Great. So thank you again for being here today and speaking with us. Um, Can you tell us where we can follow you on social media? Absolutely. Uh, would love the follow. I think the the best place to follow me is probably uh, Twitter. And my handle is at AIM 
O O R E twelve twenty one. So it's AIM and then my last name or A I more twelve twenty one. Anyways, you could probably type in Amber Moore and you we might will, find me. We <laughs> well, thank you again. And I wish you all the luck with coaching and education and everything else you got going on. Thank you so much, Ashley. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.